Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. God told Abraham to walk it out. What if that was literal, spiritual, prophetic, and experiential? What if he literally walked out by faith his children's journey that would take two dispensations to live out through grace? What if God asked you to do something seemingly pointless, something simple or meaningless, while others were chasing fame and fortune and big things? What if he called you to walk something out in faith that wasn't easy and didn't get you any glory, but was setting the stage for a much bigger story? Would you be able to walk it out by faith? Because with God, every detail matters. So today I want to take a look at the journey of Abraham to see just how much the little details of his life walked out in faithfulness proved to manifest and affect the generations that came after him. Every step in obedience or unbelief is important because it always affects more than just us where we are. This is hard to understand until we see it. And so today we're going to look at it through the record of Abraham. And in order to do that, we're just going to look at where Abraham walked. So we know that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast, but that we are God's workmanship created unto good works. Therefore, we can't just do something and expect it to manifest the glory of heaven. But if we have faith in what God has spoken, then it will cause us to take certain actions. It will affect us. And as we begin to take those steps of faith in obedience then it will cause God to move and release his grace that will perform the work for which he has promised. He is the one who fulfills his covenants. He just expects us to maintain our part in the partnership by maintaining our faith in what he had to say. The little seemingly unimportant things that he asks us to do each and every day. The faith has to come first. That's our part. It is an act of our will. Then the grace is released. That's God's part. That is an act of the Spirit, which then will perform the work, which is the impossible part. And that is how the spiritual affects the physical, the very reason for which we were created and placed in the earth, we are the doors, we are the gate that the spirit, the power of heaven comes through to effect the physical creation. In fact, you can even find it in the very name, Adam. The ancient pictogram of the first letter of that name being representative of God. The second letter being representative of a door. And the third letter being representative of flowing water coming forth 
out of it into the physical world, spreading and affecting. In fact, it's a very representation of the vision that was given to the prophet Ezekiel, when he had the vision of the water flowing out of the temple, that which was fulfilled by Jesus, of course, the last Adam, who actually got this process right, but us also, his doors, his gates, by which his spirit still flows through into the earth. That's why the scripture tells us, be lifted up, O ye ancient gates, lift up your head, you everlasting doors, that the king of glory might come through. This is the purpose of the creation of man. This is why God created you. So going back to the story of Abraham to see how this was manifested in just this one man's life, that we might have faith for how it is meant to be manifested through each and every one of us. We see that God told Abraham in his covenant with him, he gave him promises and he said, walk it out. In other words, all Abraham had to do was to maintain his faith enough to go and walk around the land that God had promised him. What Abraham walked out then in faith, his children would later live out by grace, the work of which still affects all of us today. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, we read this, And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there buildeth he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So to break this down a little bit, we can see that he builds an altar, he builds a tent. To the west is Bethel. The name Bethel means house of God. But to the east is Ai. The name Ai means a heap of ruins. In the Jewish culture, the West represented worship and trusting of God because it was where the temple was. The East was the mountain or the high places where Baal was worshipped. So that was always looked at as moving away from God. In fact, the very word repentance means to turn away from. It comes from the concept of turning away from the East or the high places of the worship of Baal and turning towards the West, towards the temple of God and returning to his presence. You couldn't worship both of them. That's why Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You're going to go to one or the other. So in this, we see that in his journey, Abraham sets up his tent in somewhat of a valley of decision, a place of seeking for God's direction. It's a place of not just going either way or moving on what you see or want, but rather to seek and to believe God for what he has promised. The West represents following the leading of the spirit. The East represented following the flesh. So as we continue in the narrative of the story, we see that his nephew, whom he had raised up, whose name was Lot, came to a point at which he had to depart. 
And he was given the choice by Abraham, choose whichever way you want to go and I'll go the other way. Abraham actually owned everything uh, that his nephew had, but he had given it unto him and said, you make your decision. When they parted, Lot chose to go eastward. Why? The land was pleasant. It was what looked best to his flesh. But in doing so, it took him to Sodom, which became a heap of ruins. Well, Abraham took what was left, which was the West in humility and sacrifice, which caused him to go West, which in actuality took him to the promise or to the house of God. Oh, pay attention to the details of the journey that Abraham took in simple obedience to simply walk by faith. Because let me tell you something, my friend, that in the end there will be a battle fought in this very valley of decision. Those that choose the wrong side of it will inherit a heap of ruins because the Bible tells us that the whole world will be just like Sodom and Gomorrah in the end after the wrath of God is poured out on it for its wickedness. While those who chose God's side will inherit New Jerusalem, house of God. You know, something that I find very interesting, the Bible says that Abraham had faith for a city to come, not made by human hands, whose maker and builder is the Lord. And then when we read in the story of Jesus, and it says that he was a carpenter, when we look at the original text, the word there actually was a builder. Jesus was the builder. When Jesus left, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is that builder, the one who is preparing that place for us in the house of God, that new Jerusalem that city whose builder and maker is the Lord. Oh, my friend, don't think that the small details of your life are meaningless or trivial. Did you think it was by chance that Jesus was a carpenter, a builder in the desert? What did that have to do with his earthly ministry? Oh, no, He was walking out by faith what God would then enact through grace one day. The seemingly meaningless, trivial things that God asks us to do in this life while we see others of immaturity chasing after things that seem to be overflowing with vainglory might be the very thing that is preparing you for your place in God's story. Because these small details in Abraham's journey had generational and eternal ramifications. They were important. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 9, we continue the story and read this. And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sariah his wife, Behold now, 
I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass... That when Abraham was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her, and commanded her to come before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abraham well for her sake. And he had sheep, and oxen, and donkeys, and manservants, and maidservants and female donkeys, and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou that she was your sister? So that I might have taken her to be my wife. Now, therefore, behold, take your wife and go your way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that they had. So in the account of this part of his journey, we see that there was a very bad famine in the land so that he went into Egypt because of the famine in Egypt. He fared very well during the famine. He increased in wealth, then faced some dangers, but was spared because of Pharaoh's dream. I'm telling you a synopsis of what happened to Abraham. Now go forward a few generations to his descendants in the time of Joseph, who would later go into Egypt themselves also. Why? of a very bad famine. They would fare very well in Egypt during the time of the famine and would increase in wealth, just like Abraham did. Joseph also faced dangers in Egypt and was spared them because of Pharaoh's dream. Do you see what I'm saying? What Abraham walked out, his kids later lived out. It was a dream from Pharaoh that saved Abraham, and it was a dream from Pharaoh that saved Joseph and his household, and through them, all of Israel, the children of Abraham. The details of your journey are important. Hagar was part of the provision given to Abraham when he left Egypt. The gold used to make the golden calf, were part of the provision given to the Israelites when they left Egypt. Neither Hagar nor the gold were inherently bad. It was Abraham and Israel's misuse of the provision that was the problem. The Bible does tell us that the iniquities of the father will be visited upon the children unto the fourth and fifth generation. It's important to seek the Lord before you make any decisions. Or your kids might end up facing the consequences. 
Now, through the blood of Jesus, every curse can be broken, but there are still consequences to the decisions that are made that can last through generations. Let's take this lesson serious and understand what the Holy Spirit is saying. Both Abraham and his descendants stopped trusting God and took matters into their own hands for a moment and in actuality created problems from blessings. Yet once they put the promise back into God's hands, and trusted him for it. God created blessings from their problems. Because you see, for both Abraham and Israel, going into Egypt was always meant to be a wealth transfer from the wicked to the righteous, a judgment on the prideful and a blessing on the humble, not for the sake of wealth, but to fund or to resource something that God wanted done. God wanted to build something, his house, his congregation, his plan, his purpose, his nation, doing the work of saving the lost and bringing them out of the house of bondage, which was Egypt, and into the family of God, which was Israel. This was always part of the plan and the purpose. The problems came when they misused the blessings that God had given them, when they stopped trusting and started trying to make it make sense Instead of just obeying God's simple instructions. In Genesis 13 verse 1 we continue the story. And Abraham went up out of Egypt. He and his wife and all that they had. And lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle. In silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So we see here that when Abraham left Egypt, he came out of it rich. Pharaoh was mad at him, and pretty much threw him out but yet sent him off with gifts and cattle and riches that he had gotten from the Egyptians. Fast forward ahead for a few generations and we see Israel, Abraham's descendants, came to a point where they also came out of Egypt and they came out of it rich. Pharaoh was mad at them. He threw them out, but sent them off with cattle and gold and gifts and riches that they had gotten. From the Egyptians, are you seeing what I'm saying by the leading of the Holy Spirit? When he left Egypt, Abraham went back to where he had started. When the Israelites left Egypt, they went back to the promised land where Abraham, their father, had been, where they had started. But they went back in rich, equipped, educated, humbled, and filled with faith. They went back ready. For the promise, or at least part of it. Lot, however, and his family and his followers would leave Abraham, just like many of the Israelites fell away in the wilderness, just like many of the household of Israel fell through the ages, began to participate and partake of the culture, and must be warned of the coming judgment, both in the time of Jesus and leading up to Christ's returning of which the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah 
that Lot had made his home in is a type and shadow of. The Bible tells us that in the end, God will rain fire and hell and brimstone on the whole world. That in fact, Sodom and Gomorrah was given for an example unto those who would later then begin to live ungodly. That there is a final judgment, a wrath of God that will be poured out on the wicked and the children of disobedience. Oh, I give you the warning that God gave to Lot that day. Separate. Come out of it. After Lot left the house of Abraham to go find his own way, and the child that Abraham and Sarah had been promised was born to them. This, of course, is a shadow of Jesus. The symbolism of this aspect of Abraham's story alone is too extensive for us to get into in this lesson. But when Abraham left Egypt and went back to the promised land, he built an altar. When the Israelites left Egypt and went back to the promised land, they built an altar also, and eventually they built a house for God. And eventually, in the end, God himself will send the house that God himself has promised. The one that Jesus, the builder, the carpenter, is building for us. We read of this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, that says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should later receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 2, that in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back again and receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also. The place that he is preparing is New Jerusalem. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And he is the builder, the son of Mary. And they were offended at him, because Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Which brings us back to where we started in the beginning, a valley of decision. That place between Bethel, the house of God, and Ai, a heap of ruins. Oh, make your decision. Walk by faith in every word that God has spoken. Every step matters. So take your journey serious because it can affect your lineage from now until the return of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, we read this, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that, While we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, 
and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, rather it be good or bad. Because you see, my friend, in the end, we will all stand and be judged. Jesus told us that our fruit would be examined. The evidence of our life's actions and the character. Did we listen and believe the teachings of Jesus? Did we have faith in his promises? Were we willing to take those small steps every day to trust him? Oh, Lord, help us today to lay down the lies and the pride that the things that we are blessed with are because of our own greatness. Many times it's because of the faithfulness of the generations that came before us. But we are being tested. We do have to walk this thing out by faith. Oh, Lord, forgive us for any time we took matters into our own hands like Abraham and Sarah did. Oh, forgive us for trying to bring about the promise in our own logic and understanding. But today we decree and declare that you are king over everything. You are faithful to keep your promises even unto a thousand generations. And we still believe that you are faithful and able to accomplish it no matter what kind of power of resurrection you have to breathe on it to bring it back to life again. In fact, the more impossible it gets, the more glorious it will be when you bring the fulfillment. We have faith in it and we thank you for the provision. We don't have to understand it. If you bring us into difficult situations we trust you to bring us through it and we will not misuse the resources that you have given us to do the work of your kingdom in the earth oh lord give us wisdom to be good stewards when you begin to pour blessings upon us we will not have fear but we will have faith in your faithfulness to accomplish it Because Abraham's faithfulness, oh, how it has blessed generations and dispensations, but he made some mistakes and that affects us too. Lord, help us to trust you. He should never have feared the famine because you had already promised to bring him through. He should never have taken matters into his own hand and tried to produce the child of promise. Through his own logic, he should never have listened To somebody else's opinion, he should have sought you and stood firm on your word. Oh, Lord, but thank you for your faithfulness and your patience that through the process you were growing and maturing and teaching him. That's why it took a while before you fulfilled it because he had to learn these things. And yes, his descendants had to learn it also as a nation. And we have to be willing to learn it as individuals and as congregations and as servants and children of the Most High God, thank you for your patience and your willingness to continue to teach us, to lead us, to direct us, and to fix our messes. We repent today for unbelief and for impatience. And we stand in renewed faith in your promises and in your faithfulness to accomplish them and in contentment in whatever season we are in, if we are positioned right now for preparation, 
If we are not walking in the fulfillment, then we are still in the preparation, the season of waiting, the wilderness, the testing, the learning. Oh, Lord, it's okay. Let us not try to run past it and miss our classes and fail our tests and have to repeat them over and over again like those in the wilderness. No, Lord. We want to have patience. We want to learn the lessons. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to receive and not be distracted by lies, deceit, impatience, unbelief, or immaturity. Lord, we repent of envy, of zealousness without wisdom. Because you see, Moses in Egypt, he knew the promise of God. He knew he was the deliverer. But he tried to take matters into his own hand before he was prepared to do it, and he killed a man. So God took him out into his own wilderness for a season where he learned how to be a real leader, doing simple mundane tasks, tending to his father-in-law's sheep and becoming a husband and a father and a tribesman. And then when the time was right, God brought him back. So Lord, we thank you for your great wisdom, for your plan, for your timing. And we trust you in all of the seasons of our life. And as Paul said, we are content wherever you place us because we know that this race is won by endurance, not by the swift. Because those that are just in it to win it and trying to run it with speed or be seen as being the first to finish, they end up leaving the teacher and missing the lessons. So, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your wisdom. And we thank you for your grace that accomplishes these impossible promises. Help us simply to walk out by faith the simple, little seemingly meaningless, mundane things that you ask us to do along the way that in actuality are really teaching us and stripping us and equipping us and prophesying of the great and mighty things to come. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. 